0: What's going on, football fans? Welcome to Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns, an Odyssey original podcast that brings you all Tampa Bay Bucks insight and entertainment multiple times a week. So be sure to conveniently download that Odyssey app, search Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns, hit that auto download button so that you have all brand new episodes just sitting there waiting for you. And then of course, heading into that off season, you're not going to want to miss a beat. Share with friends, family, other Bucks fans, or just football fans in general, or Tom Brady fans, as I like to say at this point in the season. In. Don't forget to download that app right away and follow us at Jolly Rogers TDS on Instagram as well as Twitter. Guys, I am Casey Hudson, joined by the one and only John Ledyard to talk some Bucks playoffs, some wild card situations. It's time to sail into a brand new, very exciting episode with uh, a mentor, a friend, and one of the coolest people, Bucks fans, your favorite, John Ledyard. John, how's it going? It's great to see you. It's sad I haven't seen you since the last time that you were our first guest here on Jolly, but yeah.
1: Yeah, obviously we've talked, but yeah, it is not. It is good to see you again and good to be chatting Bucks with you too. And I know you said Bucks favorite. It used to be, I don't know, now these days, Bucks to lose it, I'm calling it out.
0: (laughs) Die hard. The one time you finally get a little Bucks tweet out there, people go nuts. And then I remember the first time you tweeted about the Bucks this season. Everyone's like, is he back? Is he back? Is he back? It's just you keep the fans going. It's, right. it's, the celeb status is unreal. But no, well, it's- I've
1: tweet- tweeted some about the games, but I don't know if people like the tweets that much because I've been pretty negative this season. And it's been a pretty negative season, but all that's fine now, maybe we'll see. But for a chance to start fresh, certainly over in the playoffs in a matchup against the Cowboys in a game that I think, you know, people... Definitely campaign arguments for this one going either way. So it'll be fun to dive into.
0: I know. I'm excited about it because I've kind of gotten some fresh perspectives this week where I'm not feeling as negative. I'm not allowing my emotional ties to the Tampa Bay community to weigh in on my decisions. That's the hardest part about covering this team and growing up in this town is that I have officially become bipolar. I said it on another episode of Jolly Rogers and touchdown. So figuring out my emotions with this team has been very unique. Um, but then that brings me to my first thought and all of this, typically, I like to look at the injury report and see how much that'll play a role into my thought process. You saw probably how battered this injury report was the past two weeks. It looks like there's some good sightings at practice with Brian Jensen practicing. I'm not banking too much on that. Um, Donovan Smith, Carlton Davis, Logan Ryan, some of that secondary may be coming back. How crucial is it going to be for this team to be healthy?
1: I think pretty crucial. I mean, obviously you wish a guy like Shaq Barrett would be critical in this game. You remember how good he was in week one against Dallas, and so that not having that is going to hurt. But, I mean, yeah, Carlton Davis, another guy who played great in week one, and I think it's huge for them, um, even in terms of who it bumps off the field, and and I think that that, that one will be big. Um, Donovan Smith, yes, he struggled this season, but I still think he's the best option at left tackle, so having him is huge. And if Jensen can make his way back, that would be awesome. Uh, but there's still this question of, Guys, and not played all season. He got hurt at the beginning of camp. What kind of conditions he going to be? A leg injury? Like, just not sure how much he's been able to be in shape for an opportunity like this. Um, so I just still think there's a ton of questions, even if he does play. But obviously, Hanzy's a little banged up as well with the hamstring, although I think he'll be fine for the game. Um, you know, him at anything less than 100% is probably comparable to Jensen, you know, even even coming off this long layoff. So, and then demeanor wise, you think of what it would mean to have him on the field, that could certainly help as well against the Cowboys team that's going to throw a lot pressure wise at the box. And so I think he could be, uh, the the intangibles could be as valuable as his physicality out on the field, if if he does indeed play on Monday night.
0: Yeah. And hopefully, and I obviously would think this seems realistic to not bank on that, but you're kind of talking about situating an offensive line issue that's been an issue since week one going up against a you know pretty high end pass rush team. What's this team got to look out for when it comes to Parsons and, and Lawrence? I know that it's been talked about throughout the season. Some people feel like the Cowboys defense has started to fall off a little bit these last three weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that they have fallen off. Certainly, most of that's been in coverage. Although the the pressure with four also hasn't been as good as it was early in the season. I don't worry too much about that. I think those are just the ups and downs of a season. But Parsons obviously is one. Of the, I mean, toughest matchups in the NFL, and he will be for Werfs and for Donovan Smith um, if if Smith does indeed play, which it looks like he will. Um, just the effect that he can win as a pass rusher, the ways that he can win. You can't sit on any one move. You know, I've talked all the time about winning on the outside hip of the tackle being able to counter come back inside uh, as a pass rusher as well. And then also be able to, can you flash power rush and go through them so he can win on all three of those planes. And so I think because of that, it's really hard to to predict what he's going to do. And his change of direction is just so elite. Um, There's just so many different ways he can beat you. And that makes him really hard to prepare for, I think. So watching him, studying him, his tendencies, I know Wirfs actually has lost like, five reps all season basically and one of them was to the parsons in the first matchup and smith certainly lost his fair share of reps as well so he will challenge you about uh, as good as anybody you'll face all season so that is something they're going to have to be prepared for um whether it's getting the ball quickly or just you know knowing where he is and how to help uh, in those situations can be useful too so he is effective lawrence is a really good run defender if you remember back two years ago he probably gave trevor or, or tristan Worf probably his Part of time as he had <laughs> against any player, I would say, just in terms of the trenches, the run game. Um, that was a real chore for Worfs. I mean, Lawrence was probably one of the only people I've seen knock Worfs over and things like that a few times. And then this past year, when he went up against Lawrence, he really dominated him earlier this season in week one. And right. so, if that, if he can keep building on that, you feel good about Lawrence not being quite the level of pass rusher that Parsons is, but still very good in that regard. Um, I, I really think that it's going to be. The other guys, right, like the the Sam Williamses and those kind of guys for Dallas. I mean, they are not just two pass rushers. They have a ton of depth, and it may not be a defensive tackle, but if they can get you in third and long, which is a situation the Bucks have lived in this season, yeah, then then you become really predictable, and it becomes really hard to stop that amount of really good pass rushers. So it's going to be critical for the Bucks to win with their game plan more than anything else. Can you throw on first downs? Can you use play action? Some of the tools that have been really effective for you this season not using them um, really anymore and so I think uh, or not using them enough and so those things are going to be critical as well as no huddle can you gas the defense can you get them tired in some of these situations so they're not teeing off as much now those would be all things I would be looking at to use to the, as tools those have worked for the Bucs this season but they just haven't used them nearly enough
0: fantastic perspective you said game plan and of course that's probably the running theme and question mark the biggest question mark of this Bucks team um, we've seen what play action can do for this team. And then they still tend to bail on utilizing that in terms of the, in, in favor of this offense. And then there's a conversation of, well, you know, where's the run game? Are we going to establish a run game this game? Are they just going to go past heavy? What's the best way to approach this attack here? And I feel like the game plan hasn't really showed up with the team in a lot of these instances, Um, What do you think is the best plan of attack here when it comes to facing this Cowboys team? Because you mentioned it's not just their front four. They've got a solid defense all around, so you can't come in and be one-dimensional. You can't come in and think that it's just your run game or playoff Lenny that's going to get the job done. Um, I have an estimate that Rashad White is going to be a lot more useful in this game than he was in week one. What's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, in week one, I think six carries 14 yards, and so I definitely believe he will. He'll probably – Hopefully, he would lead the way in terms of carries. It seemed like toward the end of the year, they were trending that way a little bit, but you never know. They love to go back to Fournette when you least expect it. And so I think that Fournette, um, and why it could be effective this is one of those like hypothetically like if everything went well like there's no reason why type of games where like you would list the the reasons why the tampa bay should be successful against dallas a team that plays a lot in nickel and dime defense and so has a little bit smaller personnel on the field and doesn't necessarily want to play heavy so if and the bucks like to go heavy but they're not good at it at all and so like if they were good at the things that they try to do in the run game, this would be a great matchup. Because they're not, it's kind of going to be weakness on weakness, and I'm not sure I trust the Bucs to even win that. The Cowboys have gotten better in run defense, not worse. And this was really the only team the Bucks effectively ran on for most of the season um, was it was Dallas in this game. Uh, Fournette at 127 yards in week one. I think a lot of what they tried to do is they said, we're going to make Dallas's defensive backs tackle. We're going to make Donovan Wilson come up and tackle. No, we're going to make Trayvon Diggs tackle. Anthony Brown, who's now out for the year for Dallas, but the other corner, uh, we're going to make him tackle. And those guys really don't want to play that way. They don't want to come up, take on blockers in the run game, set the edge, crack place. They don't want to do those kinds of things. And so because of that, I think that, Tampa Bay was able to take advantage of some things. Now, since then, Dallas has gotten better in that regard. They've kind of found some rules for, rules for some people. That was so long ago, although it feels like just yesterday, September 11, when yes. we were that this game was being played. But um, I think that it's going to be harder for Tampa. Bay really hasn't improved their running game at all. In fact, that was probably the high point of the run game this season was Week One. But they, so I don't know that I have much hope in in Tampa Bay being able to do that really well. I will say it's important that they run the ball well, but it's important that they to do that. The only way that's going to happen is if they abandon their tendencies is when they run and how they run in terms of personnel grouping. So important to stay out of running on first down as much as you can. I think it's the most predictable rundown. It's the hardest run. They are, I think, the third worst EPA in the league uh, in rushing on first down. And so that you want to stay away from that. Um, and try to get yourself going through the air on early downs. Set yourself up where you're in more uh, less predictable second-down situations. Keeping the Cowboys' events off balance in that way is going to be key. There will be opportunities to run the ball, but you can't spam it on first down because you're never going to have the chance to do it effectively if you do that.
0: Yeah, and there was a little bit of a running conversation throughout this season, especially once uh, Rashad White started to kind of find his identity on this team. I thought his breakout performance was versus the Seahawks in Munich. Uh, Other people have other opinions, but with that 100 rushing yard performance that he had, you know, Do you think that there's still competition here? I don't think it's a competition because they're two completely different running backs, but the conversation still comes back to who should be that that go-to guy. Is it Leonard Fournette because he has the contract and because of the kind of running back he is and he's more of that stronger guy that can kind of build once he starts getting downhill? Or is it Rashad White who has different vision, different footwork, and can punch through tighter holes and make the most out of plays and has more reliable hands, in my opinion, but that's up for debate
1: yeah i think it's white just because of the ability to create after the catch is probably the biggest thing like he is forced more missed tackles he seems like he's more elusive better balance um neither of these guys are particularly explosive you know fournette takes that lack of explosiveness to a whole different level i was watching some of his 2021 tape and it is remarkable how much slower he is this year even than last year which he's never been the most twitchy guy but it's like a night and day Like he just looks so much slower this year so his explosiveness is basically shot, whether it's his injury or weight or whatever it might be, aging. Um, I don't know what it is, wear and tear. But um, White isn't that explosive either. He's kind of a patient, uh, shifting back, but he seems to be pretty elusive, really light on his feet, way lighter on his feet to make quick cuts than Fournette. Neither of them are great pure rushers, I wouldn't say, but White is certainly better. There's just there's nothing Fournette is better at than White. I mean, the hands thing, yeah, that's probably debatable, like you said because both have caught the ball pretty well this season. Fournette caught a ball, ball well last year as well. Um, even after his first year in Tampa was a disaster in that regard. But I would still say I'd just rather have the ball in the hands of White if you're gonna try to get the ball to somebody in space to make a play. Um, so I, I'm going with white and then pass protection. I mean, White has been, you know the, the little maybe a few more struggles recently, although I think those have been communication issues as, as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, throughout most of the season, he has been clearly the, the best pass protector uh, of the two backs. So I, I would roll with Rashad White as much as you possibly can in this game.
0: Yeah. And if I mean, if this was B.A.'s system then it would, or B.A.'s team, then we would be talking about the fact how that would level Rashad White up almost instantly um, mm-hmm. over Leonard Fournette. He kind of did well with that competitive aspect between these guys. Uh, this shouldn't be a surprising question coming from me, John, but I'm wondering your thoughts on where the tight ends have played a role this season and, or the lack thereof, honestly, in my opinion, Um, and then how much they can probably help versus this Cowboys team. Cause we talked so much about the run game, Rashad White, Leonard Fournette, what we expect out of the wide receivers, which we'll get to in a moment here, but it's the tight ends. I mean, they kind of gave this pity, happy 50th career touchdown to Kyle Rudolph. I know a lot of people aren't fans of Kyle Rudolph. I particularly was of him in Minnesota. I thought it was going to be this, uh, this dream come true for him to play with Tom Brady and get more involved in Buck's system, but that was ruled out. And then you have Cam Brait was dealing with concussion stuff and the neck oh, injury. Wow. And then you have Kate Otten, who I thought his breakout performance was versus the Falcons. And then they still limited him to about under 30 receiving yards per game uh, thoughts on the tight end group and their involvement.
1: Yeah, tricky group to figure out. It can't be less involved than they were in week one. Uh, Cam Brady had three targets, one catch, seven yards. Nobody else at tight end even got a target uh, in this game. So it can't be less involved. Certainly uh, Kate Otten and uh, Coquif have both kind of developed a little bit since then. Otten uh, maybe has hit like a rookie wall right as we were getting our, you know, kind of pounding the table the most for him uh, to, to see the field and to be out there. There has been some like really miserable weeks um over the last couple weeks uh for him so it it i mean i thought you know coming out not week 9 10 you know it looked like he was going to be coming out of the bye week it was going to be a big part of what they were doing moving forward and he's did some done some good things since then but i mean last couple weeks have been probably his worst ball uh, of the year struggling to catch the football struggling to separate some route running mistakes he's had a couple drops the last few weeks and so they need him to bounce back and and perhaps he'll be able to do that. I do think there's a good player in there. I just think that some of that has fallen by the wayside as his rookie season's gone on. Um, but he can certainly help this team. I, I would, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And in a game like this, I think he's going to be really effective as well. Uh, you know, Dallas doesn't have great coverage group. They really just don't. Um, there's been some opportunistic players back there. Malik Hooker and Trayvon Diggs make plays on the ball. But this isn't really a group. They don't really have linebackers that will match up with you in space. They're, they're trying to get that right now out of some of the young guys that they're playing. But it hasn't really been proven yet. And the cornerbacks that they've circled through to replace Anthony Brown, not that he was great either, have really struggled. So if this were last year, man, I mean, the Bucks team of last season, if they're you know, assuming health and the Cowboys team of this year, like it would, it would be so easy to pick the bucks to win this game. Like on paper, there are just so many things that like, Oh yeah, the bucks should actually be able to run the ball for a change, like in this matchup um, Mm -hmm. based on how they like to deploy their personnel versus Dallas. And Oh, the bucks should, you know, have huge advantages in the passing game just in terms of the matchups, but it's just hard to trust a team that has consistently gotten in their way all season long to be able to do those things really well. We just, Straight up haven't seen it enough this season. And at some point, when you reach the end of a season and you look back and you say, Is there one awesome game that this Bucks offense played? And there's zero. Like they have not played one great game. They've had a couple moments here and there, but they've won a whole season without one great game. And that's just how in the world are you gonna get behind that when it comes to playoff time? And that's where it gets so hard. Is you trust that sample size of this full season more than anything else, and you have to. History shows us that's the best indicator. And the indication is just that this team is probably not good enough unless Dallas implodes, which is possible. Dallas has that potential. <laughs> They've shown that in recent weeks.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that can happen. And the biggest reason I asked the tight end question is because some of their tightest contests, you know, is where tight end got involved and at least had over 50 receiving yards. I mean, their fall to the Jaguars, I believe it was Evan Ingram that had over 60 mm-hmm. receiving yards, of course. I'm a little biased because that tight end position is what made me love football, aside from the linebacker position. And when I watch a game that devastatingly has, well, very little involvement of the tight ends, it's it's tough for me to watch. But um, the wide receiving group, John, heading into week one, it was all the conversation about the return of Chris Godwin. Is Julio Jones cooked? Is Mike Evans going to have another 1,000-yard season? There's all of these questions. And then, you know, the way things played out, Mike Evans had, I think, 71 receiving yards. Chris Godwin goes out early with a hamstring tweak. Julio Jones goes out Mm -hmm. early. We didn't get to see the full potential of Godwin and Julio Jones versus the Cowboys, but we've seen Chris Godwin have a great game versus the Cowboys last season, 105 receiving yards. Could this be a game that Chris Godwin officially says, I'm back, I'm healthy, I'm ready to attack this, I can show up for my team? How can they utilize him in a way against this Cowboys team that could be, um, you know, dangerous?
1: Yeah, looking a little bit more like himself, you know, he just has not really had, he's had a fine season, like everything's been okay for the most part, you know, the fumbling's a a recent concern for sure, you know, you wish there was more touchdown production.
0: Entirely, the one that happened versus the Falcons, is that one entirely his fault or was it just a well executed punch out?
1: I, I think it's just a well-executed punch out, but yeah, you know, that was basically what happened the week before too. And so it's just like being aware of those things, you know, it is some, it's almost always some luck when you get into fumble stuff. Like it's almost always like the odds that he fumbles in this game are astronomically low. Let's put it that way. I don't oh, yeah. know how many players have fumbled three games that are. Yeah. I probably just jinxed him. But.
0: I know. Like find some more, John, please. Right. <laughs> but I think Longer love you.
1: lately, the biggest difference to me has been, what he's been do, able to do after the catch in the last few games. He looks like he's starting to get some of that old juice back maybe, which is super important for, for a lot of reasons. But one of them is just the Bucks. Like they, whether we like it or not, they love and by love, which loves to throw these screens, these bubble screens and use Godwin in space. And you know, Godwin at his peak, these was a good play. It was a good play when you didn't do it every single series. Um, but now it's like, okay, like these things are getting a little bit old. They're getting very predictable. Um, but he's been able to be somewhat effective in recent weeks. I think he forced five missed tackles in week 17, uh, which was huge for him. That had been something that a number that was way down for him. In fact, he only has 11 forced missed tackles in the season per PFF. So five coming in one game um, was definitely his best performance in that regard uh, this season. But even in terms of the yards after catch, like the last couple games, 6.9 6.9 yards after the catch per reception, 7.8 yards after the catch per reception. And then the Falcons game, he didn't play much, but five yards after the catch per reception. Those are way up. Before that, it was, you know, he, he had had a, a stretch of games going back to week eight where he didn't even get above four. He didn't even reach four and a half yards after the catch per reception. That, that number for him in this offense, given how he's used, he needs to be up. You know, he boosted his season average to, to five yards after the catch per reception, which isn't a great mark. And not his career best for sure is a yard behind where he was even last year uh, when he played but it's better than it was. It was like in, in just above four yards after the catch per reception. And remember, where he, most of his catches are coming in that area of the field, short and underneath, they need him to break tackle and gain yards after the catch. He's not making catches deep down the field like Mike Evans, where okay. usually a, a player is right around you and you're not going to be able to run that much after the catch. His job is basically to create offense, to get open uh, in the short to intermediate areas, and to create offense after the catch. He's been really good at that in the past. He has not been good at it this season. That has really limited some of his production and some of what this offense can do is because he just hasn't been good enough in that regard. And so that is a big part of his game. And if he can get back to that in recent weeks, indicate he's starting to a little bit, um, but we need to see it over a larger sample size before we can fully trust it.
0: Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. I'm definitely hoping that he has well over 67 or 60 or 70 receiving yards in this game, which kind of leads me to, Tell me if I'm being dramatic, John. I hate the deep throw to Julio Jones. I know sometimes it's been spectacular. It's looked good. It's, it's panned out here and there. But why is that my worst nightmare if they go into this game and think that those massive connections between Brady and Julio Jones or lack thereof should be anywhere in the game plan?
1: Really funny. Good point by you. I hadn't thought about that too much, but you're right. Uh, 13 targets to Julio Jones, 20 plus air yards down the field or, or more. And he's caught And two of them have been catches this season, no drops. So it's been a connection timing um, rhythm issue, all of the above. He has two catches on those th- 13 targets for 74 yards. Casey, that's a big problem.
0: It's a hard no for me and Bucks fans betrayed me when I tweeted no more deep passes to Julio Jones. And it was like, well, it's Tom. It's the, I don't care who it is. I don't want to see it anymore. It's not a thing. It's not working. It's not panning out. It's not swaggy. It's none of the things. I rather not see it. I had to know from one of the most honest people I know. Am I being dramatic, Bucks fans? I am not being dramatic. John just read you the stats of why that kills me to see that happen. Game. Yeah,
1: and I mean. It's, it's hard because it's one of the things that he brings to the field. He still seems like he is fast. They just have not been able to sync up at all. I mean, he has – one of these catches came against Dallas in week one. So, since then, it has been basically one for 12 um, down the field to, to Julio Jones. And a lot of those, as you watch the game, a lot of them is just like they're on the same page. Like the timing's off. Like it, It's not like there's even been a lot that are like around him or like – you know. it just seems like they're not really in sync at all in those spots. And so, I think that – I don't think necessarily that they give up on it, but they got to figure out what it is, you know, that, that's not making it not work because that could be crucial. There's no reason why we've seen Brady can definitely still throw the ball down the field. There's no question about that. It's accuracy, it's timing, it's um, also being in sync. You know, what, what kind of pass is it? Or, or when is he going back shoulder when you're going, when you were looking for the ball over the top? Should you be looking for a back shoulder? How are you reading that corner and where his head's turned and um, his positioning on you, whether he has you stacked or not? All those things go into this. And that takes time. It takes communication. And the fact that Julio Jones has barely practiced this year and has been in and out with injury that hasn't helped things either. I'm sure. So it's a lot of different things. Um, and I don't know whether they'll figure it out this season. I get why they're doing it. It makes sense on paper. Julio can clearly still run, but it just hasn't worked out at all for them this year.
0: Yeah. And I think it's the lack of ability to really work together. I mean, training camp, we know what that was, the absentee of Brady right. and, you know, no time with, with, these guys and then you're trying to make that time happen and then injury started play a crucial role. Now quickly before we pivot over to talking about this Bucs defense, I've got to know your opinion on these fourth down situations. Um, are they too scared to go for it? Are they, ter- are they choosing to punt too much too early? Are they showing a lot of lack of faith in this offense? Because some of the teams that have beat them, the Browns, for instance, I think the Panthers were another team. They were able to convert like three or four fourth down opportunities and um, and then you go look at the buck statistics and then it's like zero for one on fourth down.
1: Yeah. I I think that honestly, a lot of it is what you do on first down, you know, do, are you asking about the third down? Is that what you're saying?
0: I'm asking more so about, you know, the game plan or what they choose to do on fourth down or the lack of choosing to go for it on fourth down.
1: Oh, the ineffectiveness there. Yeah, no, I think that's just a coaching philosophy, honestly. Like, Bulls has been – he was the same way with the Jets. Um, He's just not going to typically go for it on fourth down. In fact, if you look at the top six – coaches in the league i think believe who like basically went against analytics maybe it was top seven who went against analytics more often than not and some of the analytic models that are out there obviously i'm just quoting one here Mm It say hey the high percentage chance to go for it on fourth down most time this is a conversion most time this you know the the odds outweigh of of getting this even if you fail outweigh uh the downside and uh, most of them have ignored it. you know it's been defensive head coaches so uh that's a track record that's tracked for a couple years now with that statistic and i think that that's a coaching philosophy and and I, I honestly am not sure if it would matter if their offense was better or not like it's just the reality because if your offense is not as good then you should be going for it more often in these situations because the likelihood you get down there again in that situation again is smaller uh and if you trust your defense more than your offense you should be okay putting them in a situation where they might have to defend a 60 yard field um you know rather than a you know 75 yard field um yeah. you should be able to trust them in that situation you got to understand that field position matters, but the likelihood of punting in some of these situations and, you know, getting the ball in a position that's down at the one or something it's just slim. It just doesn't happen very often. And so you're more likely to be, Oh, we gained 15 yards of field position. Well, you lost a scoring opportunity and that's huge, way more important than 15 yards of field position. And so until the coaches understand the numbers and understand why that stuff happens and they understand ball at like a higher level, basically, which I don't really expect with these guys at this point, Um, I think the same mistakes are going to continue to be
0: made. Yeah, which a lot of fans, that's probably been the biggest frustration is coaching calls, decisions, and then This, this, this is Jolly Rogers and Touchdown with Casey Hudson and Kaylee Myzel. I know I saw some questions about fourth down, but pivoting over to this defense really quick. Devin White, two sacks, Anthony Nelson sack, beat sack, Winfield Jr. interception. That was week one, and we know the defense put up a heck of a performance, but their ability to create turnovers this season has been horrible um injuries have played this defense tremendously and i'm going to go ahead and make a bold enough statement to say i think that they're overly relying and overworking antoine winfield jr what's the biggest risk that this defense is going to be facing uh with this cowboys offense
1: yeah fan there's a lot of concerns i think uh it, depending on who played without jack barrett i think especially a lot of concerns but yeah you said it only 20 turnovers forced all season long um for the Bucks, which is 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 not the worst mark in the league but it's not not a good one either um Mm -hmm. there's only a handful of teams i think about seven teams that are worse than them this season in that regard and nobody's forced more more turnovers than dallas which is a huge part of why they've had success defensively especially early in the year uh when those numbers start to peter off then you do wonder about their defense a little bit too but i think for tampa bay the biggest thing is going to be how they choose to approach Dak Prescott. Um, they have been a very blitz heavy team in the past under Todd Bowles. They have way down in blitz percentage this year, like 28% of their snaps are blitz, the blitz on that is much lower than it typically is. I mean, last year it was 43%, I think. So we're talking about it just a huge swing. And even as they've lost Shaq Barrett, they haven't really leaned much more into blitzing. Um, but there's a lot of other ways to get pressure. You can bring everybody up on the line of scrimmage, sugar the A-Gaps and things like that, and then drop people out into coverage. Uh good old Anthony Nelson dropped 13 times into coverage against Atlanta and he pass rushed 13 times. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it, it was a game that didn't matter. So maybe they were trying something out. I don't understand, but um, just, yeah, just things like that. You know, I think JTS, people don't realize when they talk about sack production, he's dropped into coverage as much as probably almost any edge defender in the NFL this season. So wow. anyway, those things are going to happen. And I think that because of that, you have to be, if you're Dak, you need to be aware of who's dropping, who's coming at all times, even if you're just rushing four. Um, which four is kind of the hard part for him to figure out and for the offensive line to figure out. The other interesting part about that is that Dallas's offensive line is three hall of famers on it. Right. So they should be great. <laughs> well, Jason, Jason Peters is ancient. He hasn't played all season. He was barely on a roster for most of the season. Now he's playing left tackle. He's not the same player he once was. Tyron Smith is still very good, but he missed almost almost all the season. And now he's playing right tackle, which he played left tackle his entire career for Dallas basically. And so that's a big change. Um, Zach Martin's still a stud at right guard. They may be getting Tyler B be- the Cowboys may be getting Tyler Biatish back at center, which would help them uh, as well. They've moved the rookie Tyler Smith to left guard. He was playing left tackle early in the season, replacing Tyron Smith, and he was solid there. So oh, yeah. just a lot of moving pieces. That's that's the that's the the theme here. Mm-hmm. How Bulls chooses to attack all those moving pieces on an offensive line and a quarterback that wants to win from the pocket and it doesn't want to play outside of structure and Dak Prescott, you know, Dak and Tom Brady are fairly similar in the ways that they like to play. Um, They can make quick decisions, get the ball out. They're both very cerebral, both pretty accurate. Um, Brady has a better arm than Dak, and that's been a huge difference in his career. Also just at another level in, in other regards, but they are similar stylistically. And so which team can figure out a way to create pressure. The Cowboys probably don't need to be that creative to do it. Um, they can win some one-on-ones probably, um, but the Bucs are going to have to be very creative to do that, to solve this because they just don't have a like great one-on-one pass rusher right now. I think JTS and Vita Veya are solid and, and, and you know have played better at times, the seasons, the year's gone on, mm-hmm. but there's no guy you point to. You're like, oh, they're going to win one-on-one. They've got to make sure they can handle that. Like There just isn't that kind of guy for the Bucs.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned basically the musical chairs taking place on the Cowboys offensive line here because, you know, the big question is, while Ezekiel Elliott only had 52 rushing yards and Tony Pollard only had eight in week one, Pollard's actually been the polarizing player that's helped this team stay in a lot of games and put up massive rushing yards for one, for two, after seeing how other teams have been able to run the ball down the Bucks' defense's throat do you think the Cowboys will try to change their approach from being run heavy or you think that that kind of makes them more motivated to be run heavy or not because of this offensive line and the shuffling that they have going on?
1: I think they very much want to run the football, especially when they look at how things went in week one, they ran the ball. Okay. But they just got away from it a lot. And it was, it was game was within distance and maybe they got a little too pass heavy. McCarthy's been accused of that in the past. I, I say that, you know, I think this is their perspective to me. I think it's figuring things out in the past game is probably Dallas's best bet. You know, Tampa Bay has played quietly better against the run. There's certainly been some games. The 49ers late in the game seem to to take advantage of, of the defense. I think they really didn't have a good game in, in that one against that. That was probably their worst game of the year against San Francisco in terms of the run defense. But other than that, the second half of the year, it's been pretty good. I don't really consider the Atlanta game that just happened. You know, that's not a concern no, to me. With no. All the, yeah, all the back. that were in there.
0: And i which it's crazy to even say those yeah. two teams and be serious about it. But yeah.
1: Yeah, especially late. Yeah, that was probably their toughest matchup. And they really shut down Carolinas that, you know, that second meeting, they shut down their rushing attack a good bit there. And so I think there are things are trending up in that regard for the Bucs. And also you have to consider, I think, somewhat like the fast past couple of years, they've been one of the best run defense in the league. Like I know I have some issues with Todd Bulls. Him figuring out run defense is is usually one of the things you can count on him for, especially as the year's gone on. So I think they're at a better spot to be able to do that. But, you know, I don't, I don't think Dallas is going to put up like 50 in this game or 40 or something like that. But they just need to be able to do it effectively. And I think they can do it effectively. You know, so I think it will come down to how things, you know, the, how, the, how the Bucks pressure Prescott if they can and what their strategy is for doing that and what kind of situations they're able to put this offensive line in with so many new moving pieces that have only had a couple of games to, to settle in together. So that's still where I think the game's won or lost. But certainly one of those sidebars is if Dallas could run the ball well enough, that is also a huge asset to them in terms of taking pressure off Dak.
0: Yeah. And not particularly a Cowboys versus Bucks question, but definitely just want your insight and opinion on it. Thoughts on Akeem Hicks had a sack last week, obviously, with the Falcons and that game was really kind of hard to evaluate just because of, you know, whatever the game plan was heading into that, but um, how crucial his play is to this team, how beneficial you think he's actually been on the line in the trenches. Um, what's your thought with Akeem Hicks?
1: I think early in the year he was pretty bad against Dallas, actually, in week one, I thought, run um, defense-wise. There were very few good moments. It's been better since he came back from injury. Uh, He was out for week two to week nine, I believe, and I think he's been better since then but it's still he's so yeah out of their options you, you basically need everybody you can to keep logan hall from playing right now like that's the idea which isn't what you want to be with a rookie but they he needs the offseason to develop like he just needs to develop his body all those things the biggest thing right now is just how can we keep him off the field as often as possible and you can only do that if you've got healthy bodies ahead of him so that's golston vea um obviously hicks and then uh ricky nunez Rojas as well so um i think that all those things or those guys being healthier is really important because it's as you get further down the depth chart, it gets a lot uglier, um, especially in terms of run defense. So he has been good in that way. I don't think it was a bad signing. I think he's been very okay. um, You know, as a pass rusher, a little bit better in recent weeks, but he's playing at you know, 30 to 40 snaps a game. And that's, you know, what you'd probably like to keep him at. um, If you can, it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, right now, if it's not he and Vea, you're getting zero as a pass rush, you know, from even from Hall, who has the traits you want um, in that regard. But, you know, Nacho has never been a pass rusher his entire career. You know, Golston is, has seen things improve for a little while there in Tampa, uh, but this year has fallen off pretty dramatically in that regard, uh, has been. Um, really nothing from him as a pass rusher all season Um, so they just don't get anything if it's not those guys so those you know he he needs to play really well I think for this team to reach its ceiling as a four-man pass rush group but I think he's more likely to just be a a guy for them up front than anything that makes a difference
0: yeah appreciate the insight on that because I was really excited about things that I saw in training camp and then I kind of feel like things fell off and I wasn't sure if it was more so injury related um, or if it was just kind of you know, it was what it was kind of deal. Uh, speaking of kind of the anticipation and what you thought players were going to develop into Carl uh, Nassib comes back Then you got Anthony Nelson. Carl Nassib is somebody who's mentioned in many interviews um, how much he learned from Shaq Barrett, how much he loved to talk with Shaq Barrett and see the game from his perspective with Barrett being out. How much do you think Carl Nassib has, been able to translate what he could have learned from barrett or even anthony nelson nelson's had some pretty good games this season um surprisingly so but what have you thought of both of these guys
1: well neither Nassib or nelson win very often one-on-one as pass rushers you know they will take advantage of coverage plays where the play gets extended they're pretty disciplined they've got great length, so they can tack people out to tackle people outside their frame and kind of make some of those types of plays They're pretty smart they can both are, are pretty similar to each other nasa's probably a little bit stronger but they can kind of find the football and 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 the obviously when you're being blocked in pass protection that's a disadvantage for the blocker they don't know where the quarterback is so if the quarterback is you know look at um Nelson, nelson's last two sacks you for example i think there's last two you know where he had unblocked off the edge strip sack uh i forget who, even who they were playing um and then uh, you look at the, the play against, uh, it was Arizona. No, where he had the strip sack late in the game. Um, it was against Carolina on Darnold where he mm-hmm. beat a woman who the left tackle. Well, Darnold's too deep in the pocket. And so he creates an angle to the quarterback that the tackle can't anticipate, can't have anticipated. And so it's a good rush, but it's also aided by the fact that the tackle is kind of getting screwed over by his quarterback's depth in the pocket there. And so, those are plays that those the floor is high, and they're not going to miss those opportunities where somebody like JTS may miss opportunities like that, just lack of experience and kind of being a little more out of control and a little more like uh, just overly active, I would say, to get himself out of situations he should have covered. And so some of those things can be frustrating with JTS, but the thing is neither Nelson nor NASA are going to beat guys one-on-one as a pass rusher and certainly not quickly up front. So they can be helpful assets, but you can ultimately – probably should try to upgrade both spots in the off season. Although I, I certainly, I mean, Nassib was barely playing before he got to Tampa Bay. So the fact that he's been able to give them anything at all has been, you know, there's not many guys just sitting around, not doing anything that are <laughs> going to be able to help you. And so the fact that he can help them is, is, um, is a huge, is huge for the defense, I think.
0: Yeah. And I feel like a lot of it had to do with returning to Tampa and being around guys who he trusts and, and can learn a lot from.
1: Um, and I- neither are going to kill you as run defenders too. And, th- and that helps. I mean, they're not going to be, great players in that regard but they're not going to typically hurt you in that regard either
0: oh well I mean good to know seeing how we're not sure how the Cowboys will try to fan out there but we talked about the run game we talked about the front four here let's talk a little bit more about the fact that CeeDee Lamb wasn't so involved in beating this team not that the Cowboys won but in trying to beat the Bucks in week one he was contained to 29 receiving yards it was kind of Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz that led in receiving yards collecting 68 receiving yards and 62 receiving yards we said that it was Probably be important for the Cowboys to have effective pass game going on. How do you think the Bucks? Um, let's hope that they're healthy and that you know you get some guys back out there. Will fare against a team that started to find their legs a couple weeks ago in the passing game.
1: Well, I think C. D. Lamb's worst game of the year was probably against the Bucks, um, and so uh, in Week One. Uh, so it's been definitely uh, a nice glow up for him since that point. Um, I think he had in that game. He, his stat line might have been okay. What do you have? No, two for twenty-nine yards. Two catches on eleven targets for twenty-nine yards, zero touchdowns. He had a couple drops in there, but in general, he just could not. I mean, Dean and and Davis just destroyed him, in that game. So, Lamb has gotten better since then. The Cowboys have found ways to get him the football more effectively. He is going to be a bigger threat. There really has not been a number two to consistently step up for Dallas this season. You know, obviously they hoped and assumed Gallup would be that guy. And I think there's been moments where that's been true this season, but by and large, it really hasn't been true of him. You know, it's gonna take another year, probably. Um, and so I think they're kind of looking around as Dalton Schultz, that guy. They really want him to be. There's some money there involved. Like that would be awesome if he stepped up. He's just kind of a guy at tight end. I think that I could have told you I go into the year, I think like he's he's fine but he shouldn't be the guy that kills you in any game. Um, Noah Brown's been capable for them this year. Um, Sort of, yeah, some similar skills in some ways to like, if people remember like a Jericho Cotter or guys like that in the past, Um, you know, I think that those guys can be okay, but nobody, if you take away lamb, you're going to take away a lot of this passing offense, I think. And so I would expect the bucks to be pretty focused on him that doesn't mean just man coverage, though. I think I don't think Todd Bowles is going to do that, um, but it could be like there could be some bracketing and could be some looking for him on those in breakers early off, right off the snap, trying to jump those lanes and crowd those 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 passing windows for Prescott. I think that could be part of the way that they defend him. But yeah, he's it's Dallas has gotten better at obviously getting him the football as the year has gone on. But you're talking about a guy 156 targets this season. The next closest player is 89 in Schultz, so it's a big
0: difference. It's gross. <laughs> it's really gross to re- realistically to, to paint that picture. But all right, let's uh let's let's play something here, a little outlandish guessing game. If you had to pick a player on defense to have a hell of a performance, just off the charts, who would it be, and what would be your your outlandish guess of stats that they would put up versus the Cowboys for the Bucks?
1: Um, hmm, that's a good question. I would say let's go with maybe uh Levante David and he gets a pick in this game or a forced fumble, something like that. You know, tackles are a stat. I don't really care that much about it. You know, he's probably not going to get that many tackles for loss in the way they play defense. They don't, they don't fire him through gaps. Maybe he gets a sack and a forced fumble uh, or an interception, something like that though. But I just, it'd be great. I mean, LaVante David's a guy who's played at a Hall of Fame level his entire career, basically, but because the Bucs haven't been very good, he's been overshadowed. And then when they've been good these last couple of years, he's been great, but there hasn't been as many splash plays. And whether we like it or not, you know, those are the things that get you into the Hall of Fame. And so I think that when you have an opportunity to do that on a playoff level, you know, obviously he already has a ring, that helps his case. I don't know whether he's going to get the Hall of Fame. I know he deserves to be in there. I don't know whether he's going to get there, but those kind of moments, you know, if you can do those in the playoffs, I think they leave marks in people's minds so i'm really hoping he has a really strong game
0: all right so hoping to see some splash from levante david and then on the offensive side of the ball outlandish stat player who's going to tear it up if you just had to take a bold prediction
1: Mm, man i mean
0: (laughs) this is probably the hardest one honestly
1: (laughs) i have absolutely nothing i have no
0: clue.
1: (laughs) i mean there's so many good players it's it's ridiculous that i don't have a good answer to give you but i just I, just don't, I don't trust them to be able to tie their shoes on offense, to be honest. And so I, I I, don't know. I mean, let's just go with Mike Evans because the, you know, they're going to be – there's this ability to hit plays down the field for sure for Tampa Bay that Dallas will give you. I do not think there's any corner on the Cowboys that can hold him one-on-one. Um, and, yeah, Brady has time. He's going to make those, those plays happen. It seems like there's a concerted effort to get him super involved, even on routes he wouldn't typically be involved in recently. Um, so they'll probably be a high target, hopefully high catch game. Uh, for Evans, but with this offense, he could go catchless by the end of the game, and I wouldn't be surprised either.
0: That would be that would be terrible. <laughs> I would have yeah. to turn him off. I would. Um, okay, if I had to be bold and outla- out loud, outlandish. I love saying that word. Clearly, uh, Chris Godwin over 100 receiving yards. Rashad White over 100 rushing yards. So that's going to be. It's outlandish. It's supposed to be. Who knows? Yeah. Oh,
1: that's <laughs> true. I wasn't out. I wasn't very outlandish then. I, I guess I should reconsider. Kate Otten, three touchdowns.
0: Oh, my gosh. Reach for the stars. I am reaching for the stars. If Kate Otten gets in the end zone more than once, I will absolutely lose it. And I would probably shed tears because this team is, well, they're full of surprises and not utilizing anything I want them to use. Kate Otten,
1: three touchdowns and they lose.
0: Bucs fans are going to love and hate that in so many ways. Or
1: actually, so
0: co-keep two touchdowns. I think that's a good one. There you go. Wow. So, here we go. Some some big bets going on here, which takes us over to predictions, my worst nightmare, the worst part of any conversation, at least this season so far. I think I'm bad luck. We're going to see. What's your prediction for Monday night?
1: Cowboys, you want me to give you a score? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cowboys 27 bucks
0: 14. 14. Two <laughs> Sorry. Two Look at for the Bucks.
1: Anybody who listens to my podcast knows, like, I just have, I'm just tired. I – no no faith in the bucks to figure out the things that they need to figure out to be able to be good. Um, It's obvious it stares them right in the face every week. They are clearly good when they utilize tons of play action. They are clearly good when they throw more on early downs. They're clearly good when they lean into no huddle. And yet they're at the bottom of the league in play action rate. They are second in the league in no huddle rate, but they should be lapping the top, the second place team with Arizona is ahead of them. They should be lapping Arizona. There should be no comparison at all between the two teams. Um, And so, That's because they cannot figure those things out. Neutral pass situations, they should be top of the league because they're so bad at rushing. Instead, they're in middle tier neutral situations where they throw the ball on first down. Um, They're like 10th or 12th or something like that. They should be top of the league because they don't lean into their strengths and their strengths are so clearly defined and their weaknesses are so prominent that all the times they waste leaning into those weaknesses – is plays they cannot recover from because even, at, even to at leaning into their strengths, I don't know how good they're going to be, but mm-hmm. the fact that they lean so strongly on the things that they are so clearly bad at almost mm-hmm. every team in the league figures this stuff out by this point. And the fact that they still have not like, they're either going to, it's either going to be like, we're going to find out they were like a, 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 a like a experiment, like a society experiment at some point to see how people responded to complete, like completely illogical approach or we're going to find out at some point like that they're really just this bad at it. And so one of those things will be clear after Monday night, I think.
0: I was going to say it's going to be an interesting uh, potential offseason or interesting week next week to see how that goes about, which uh, takes us over to some walk the plank. I'm sure there's got to be a good one. And there's somewhere, if you recall, from the first time you joined us here, it's any sort of headline, person, situation, scenario. Walk the plank can be a whole lot of things. Who, what, when, where, why needs to walk the plank.
1: Uh, for me, the whole idea that Anthony Nelson is better than Joe Trynchuk like that <laughs> is just crazy. It's just not grounded in reality. Like people are letting sack numbers, maybe, which are I mean, Nelson is what I don't. I'm go I go off PFF sack numbers because like, they count half sacks as whole sacks, which they should be. Um, I don't know what the traditional numbers, but I think Nelson has what six and trying is five or something like that. Uh, Try and Shurenka is is forty pressures a season. Nelson has fourteen. They've been, and Trynchuk has barely rushed more than Nelson. There is just no comparison on tape as to who is better between these yeah. two players. Um, you know, yes, to Trynchuk has bad, couple bad plays. I get that they scream loudly to people, and I know that he has work to do for sure. Like this was a good step in the right direction this season. It was not a leap for sure, no doubt. I will 100% agree with that. But the idea that Nelson is better than Trynchuk. And should be like starting over him or be above him in the depth chart next season is absolutely bonkers. Nelson has been a bad pass rusher this season. He has had a couple good plays recently that have resulted in sacks. They're also aided by the other team being completely incompetent. He has not rushed the quarterback well this season. He has pass product, His win rate is way down. All the analytics are against him as a pass rusher. I watched every snap of him this season. He has not been good as a pass rusher this season. Like I, I don't know what people. I know that people are looking at those sack numbers in the splash plays. Look, they've been two of the biggest plays of the Buck season. I, I will 100% agree with that. But the reality is this is not a player who you like should be like, oh, we should sign him like, to you know, be competitive. And like, you can do better than him. He is a subpar athlete. You can find a better number three with a higher ceiling and run with that. Um, and I would rather do that than the it back. So the idea is better than JTS. Just not true.
0: I was never privy that this was even a conversation. I'm actually shocked. And I do give oh. you more praise than than probably most
1: but i never would have this is big Uh, i pat donovan's my boy pat donovan's my boy and he tweeted like the other day he's like that's the when he had the unblocked sack off the edge against uh i think it was arizona (laughs) and he was like that's the kind of play jts should be making i'm like if they just let him walk into the quarterback (laughs) from the blind side i'm sure jts would make the play too it's just the bar is just different and again one's a first round Mm -hmm. pick the other's a fourth round pick like the bar is totally different in people's minds and that's fair in terms of why we're evaluating them per x expectations but against each other no jts is way better than anthony nelson is even if there are a couple plays that make you pull your hair out
0: yeah well and again you're talking about somebody younger who's still finding his footing but the athleticism i don't think you can compare either so had no no idea that that was a conversation um jeff Atanella, if i'm not butchering his name which i think i finally got it right for the second time uh this morning his was For anyone who (laughs) I got it. Thank you. Anyone who is a Bucks fan that's selling their tickets to Cowboys fans has to walk the plank. And I felt like between his and yours, those are hard follow-ups because it's very true. You don't want to go to your home stadium and see more jerseys of the opposing team, just because Bucks fans are so tired of this emotional roller coaster and wish that they did not have the height to ride this ride anymore. I know I wish I didn't. Um, But for me, it kind of always just comes down to the same thing. It, it's the coaches or the players. Accountability is a big thing for me. Accountability has been a huge thing this team has lacked all season long. Um, so this time I just kind of have to go with the game plan. I'm going to have a, a, a another pre-walk the plank. If these coaches come in and really plead insanity and decide to do the same old ridiculous things they've done all season long, mm-hmm. John, you put it perfectly, not applying to their – using their strengths and leaning in too heavily on the weaknesses, then this coaching staff has to walk the plank. But these players too, they should be fighting for their chance to do what they know works. And that should be a conversation that's respected both ways. Fingers crossed. Uh, I'm not going to leave a prediction because I feel like it's bad luck. And I think yours was terrifyingly good. I will say that. (laughs) John, let fans know where they can find you on Twitter and about um, the pod.
1: Yeah. By the way, the injury report just dropped for, and it looks very, it looks very good on both sides. To be honest, I mean, it really could be full strength based on players that are not on injured reserve outside of. So for the Bucks, you know, we'll see with Ryan Jensen, but everybody was kind of limited or practiced fully, and I don't think there's any expectation out there right now that many of these guys will miss. So you know, the Bucs really could go into this game only without Jack Barrett of the key players that really mattered for them this season maybe ryan jensen will see and the cowboys are kind of in a similar boat they're they're missing anthony brown and jordan lewis two of their top three corners are on injured reserve and then obviously terrence Steele, their right tackle so three of their top players are, or three of their starters are on injured reserve um but the bucks and cowboys could be pretty much a full strength matchup which it Going to the playoffs, that just doesn't always happen very often. So, pretty interesting. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft, L-E-D-Y-A-R-D NFL Draft, and you can follow my podcast, the subscription pod, Audibles, and Analytics. Usually, Paul Al and I will podcast about the Bucks. It's kind of every week in the season. We didn't podcast this week because last week's game didn't matter, and I did a playoff preview. Uh, which included we have an AFC playoff preview and an NFC one, which included the Bucks Cowboys game with Ollie Connolly, who I podcast with also once a week. Usually it's two to three pods a week over there. I haven't done any writing yet, but I plan to do some for the draft. uh, So hopefully that works out. Um, But yeah, it's a sub stack audibles and analytics. You can subscribe over there. Sometimes there's some free stuff too, and uh, get access to whatever work I get to do now that this is a hobby for me.
0: Now that it's a hobby, but still one of the, (laughs) Best people contributing from a hobby status or a job status, honestly, guys, go he- over there and subscribe right away. I learned so much from listening to you, John. I learned immensely working with you. Um, the perspective, the just the insight alone, you cannot, you cannot waste your money subscribing to it. So head over there and subscribe right away, guys. Make sure you follow John. If you're not already following him, and just because he's not only covering the bucks doesn't mean that you don't follow him because when these bucks are irritating and when you don't want to sit there and, and wallow in whatever they deliver this week, Um, at least John his podcast, Paul, Ollie, everybody can give you something worth looking forward to and chatting about around the league. John, as always, it's such an honor and pleasure to chat with you. um, And anytime about any team in this league guys, thank you so much for joining us here on Jolly Rogers and touchdowns. As I mentioned earlier in the segment, please follow us at Jolly Rogers TDS. That's on Instagram as well as Twitter Download that Odyssey app, search Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns, hit that auto download button so that it's just so convenient to keep up to date on all brand new episodes revolving around the box, share with friends, family, and you can also stream on any of your favorite streaming platforms. Guys, I'm Casey Hudson. Join with John Ledger, And thank you so much for joining us here on another episode of Jolly Rogers and Touchdowns.